Hi, I'm Priya Aneja. I'm Paul Shrimp. And I'm Jeff Gorgie. And this is Profits Healthcare Transformers podcast, where we'll be talking to leaders in healthcare who are focused on transforming their organizations to drive the next level of growth for their business and for healthcare. Transformation is one of those terms that has a lot of layers to it. Sometimes it's about innovation. Sometimes it's about shifting the way you do business. Sometimes it's about your overall operating model, and sometimes it's to a specific department or function. It's also about people, helping them navigate the discomfort that comes with change, but also motivating them to engage in the journey of transformation from the CEO to the newest employee. It is a journey, and that's why we created this podcast, to break down this multidimensional, dynamic topic of transformation, one story at a time. Are you ready to dive in? So our guest today is uh, Dr. Nick Patel, the Chief Digital Officer at Prisma Health. Nick, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Jeff. Nick, if you would, just tell us a bit about your background and uh, you know maybe one interesting thing we don't know about you that we can't find in your LinkedIn profile. Well, I've been Chief Digital Officer at Prisma Health, which is the largest healthcare system in South Carolina now for about three and a half years. I'm an internal medicine physician by trade. I've been a physician now for 18 years here at this organization, which was previously Palmetto Health before it merged with Greenville Memorial to form Prisma Health about three and a half years ago. I started as a hospitalist right out of residency and afterwards eventually went into outpatient primary care practice. And uh, I also am the vice chair for primary care for the organization. Things that most people may not know about me is that I actually have grown up in South Carolina for 40 plus years. I grew up in a small, very small town called Hemingway, South Carolina. It had Uh two traffic lights. (laughs) And um, one of the things, the reason uh, I went into medicine is because unfortunately I got sick a lot when I was a kid. but the only place to go get healthcare was 40 miles away at that time. But yeah, I, you know, I've been in South Carolina a long time. I've seen a lot of changes here. For fun, I like racing cars. It's something a passion of mine, and uh, I love making uh, Legos with my son. Very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. So you've known you were going to be a doctor for a long time. Yeah, I think I think where it really kind of hit me that I was going to go into medicine was probably when I was like maybe 12 years old. And the reason that was uh, I, I got pneumonia and I remember being in a hospital at, in Florence, South Carolina. And I remember all the doctors and nurse, nurses walking in and, and they had to break my fever. They had to dip me in this ice cold water. And I'll never forget that. <laughs> and after I recovered, I was like, you know, it was amazing how the team reacted and I felt better. And, and the same thing when we even eventually got a local doctor in town, you know, when I used to get ear infections, how just some simple antibiotic would, would fix that and how he was very nice in explaining to you mm-hmm. what you had. Now he'd have like a anatomy, you know, diagram of the ear and it shows me how that worked. And so then I got in really into science and physiology and then and I said, you know, this is something that is, I found myself reading when I didn't need to read those things like I was asked to in, in school. And I felt like it was just an interest of mine. But um, but I was also very much into technology. I mean, I remember my dad was very, you know, always supported those things. And I, my first computer was a Commodore 64 with two large 5.25 drives and a plot uh-huh. printer. And uh, eventually got a Apple II GS. I wish I still had those because it probably could still <laughs> make a lot of money on them. Right. <laughs> But yeah, so I've always been into technology and my parents grew up, I grew up in a hotel and maybe that's one thing I should have said earlier is that hmm. I didn't have a home actually. I lived at a hotel. My 
my parents owned a hotel and you went and worked at, you went to school and you came back to the, to the hotel. And so I helped my dad rent rooms. And at that time, it was a paper ledger where you would take the name of the pay, uh, the customer down and write down the room number and give him an actual key. My dad gave me an interesting job when I was about 15. He says, I want you to manage the Coke machine. And he gave me $100 equity and a uh -huh. full machine. And he goes, go run it. And so I learned about supply chain negotiations. I found that, you know, my dad's uh, Coke machine, uh, because it was only Coinbase, would wake my dad up at two in the morning to get paid for a dollar. So I negotiated with the Coca-Cola guy to get a, a better Coke machine with a dollar feeder eventually. So those reduced those, uh, you know, wake ups for my parents. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting growing up there. I learned a lot about business. I learned mm -hmm. a lot about just how that retail experience needs to be about uh, customers and what you need to do for bringing customers back and uh, also the back-end operational needs of running a business of that kind. My dad built many hotel hotels after that. I'm, I'm envisioning this Shit's Creek, right, with you living yeah. in a hotel room, right? Yeah, well, actually, you know, that hotel was, uh, looked pretty, pretty close pretty to familiar. Yeah. Very familiar, yes. So, Nick, my next question, you actually started partially started to answer it. And I was wanting to ask about your decision to follow this path into, you know, the more administrative leadership side that led to your, you know, your role as chief digital officer. Yeah, and it was uh, it was really over that 18 years of being here at this organization, you know, eventually for me, it was seeing and living and the increasing frustrations in healthcare delivery. Right. So. The operational inefficiencies, the poor access, the provider burnout, the complaints, the increasing cost, the disjointed workflows, you know, variability, manual process. I mean, I can go on and on about those. Yeah. But it was eventually, you know, improvement committees and different quality committees that I got put on. And I felt like I was making a good impact and they noticed I was making an impact. And I think the biggest shift for me, Jeff, was I would say in 2000 maybe 16 or 15, uh, one of the ambulatory clinics, we went to, we're switching to Cerner from paper. Even though the hospital was all on Cerner at the time, we hadn't shifted to an EMR yet. And we were essentially dictating notes and then it, you know, go to the cloud. So when to transcribe it and send it and you put in a paper chart, we had a huge room. This practice has been around for over 20 years and had you know, thousands and thousands of paper records that were there. But when we switched over to uh, EMR, the two providers that were there that were really good mentors to me, and really I never thought I'd go into outpatient medicine, primary care, really showed me a different view of what primary care in the private sector would look like compared to what you're taught as a resident. And I was really enjoying it. I had a work-life balance. I was getting there at 8.30, going home 4.30, had no nights, no weekends like I did as a hospitalist. Mm -hmm. It was working really well. And, and the thing that I really enjoyed about it that I didn't know I was going to enjoy as much is that longitudinal rapport you build with a patient. You, no one remembers you as an ER doc or a hospitalist. And it's not about being remembered, but the fact that you don't know what happens to that person after you fi fix them, right? And so when we went to an EMR, the, these two providers' productivity dropped by 40, 50%. They were working longer hours. They were having frustrations. They, we did not have single sign-on. And so I did decided to do a process improvement project with an intern and found that it, you know, we're for a patient coming through a 15-minute visit, which is the normal minimal slot, it's the patient's in the office 45 minutes at a minimum. And I pinpointed every single 
single step of that process. And I also found that it takes two minutes and 30 seconds to log in and to get to a place in the chart where you can actually start having a conversation with a patient. And so I decided to do a workflow improvement project. I ended up finding, this is when Surface had first came out with Surface Pro. I downloaded Citrix on it, bought it with my own money. And I started going room to room like I did with a paper chart. I saw what I was seeing the patient for. I would start a conversation with the patient. I would document in the room and then I'd be done. And so I told my other providers that next thing you knew, 10 other doctors bought the Surface device and was doing that. And Microsoft found out we we're doing it and it became this huge project that eventually got published and, and showed great improvement in workflow efficiency. And that led me to eventually executive director of informatics for the medical group. And then from there grew in to various other leadership roles to where I am now. Was the chief digital officer, was it the first time, when you took the role, was it the first time the position had been created? Correct. Yeah, I'm the inaugural CDO and I had to, I wrote my own job description for it. Who or what parts of leadership or what functional leaders were the champion or what was the, the realization of the need to create this kind of senior role? Yeah, it was, uh, it was really interesting. When we became Prisma about three and a half years ago, the chief clinical officer and the CEO and the dean of School of Medicine asked me what my next step in my career was going to be, what I want, wanted to do. At that time, I was still practicing, I would say, four days out of the week clinically, but I was in so many different leadership meetings already. They asked me what I wanted to do, and I told them about this new role I heard about that really fit me like a glove called the Chief Digital Officer. And I learned that from, uh, I think it was HIMSS 2018, when Hal Wolf talked, actually at his keynote, brought up this new role of the CDO. And I was in yeah. my mind, just like checking off in my mind every, as he was presenting. I was like, wow, that's fully tailored to me and my passion and to transform healthcare delivery. And, they, and, and those leaders knew that about me, that I wanted to transform healthcare delivery, both not only for obviously the health system and make us more operationally efficient because we can't, there's tools to help us do that, but also the providers. And ultimately, obviously all of that would lead to better access to care and better care for our patients. It would help us grow our catchment area. It will help us from a marketing perspective to be a differentiator in the market, et cetera. So um, uh, wrote the JD, we had some minor edits, but uh, overall uh, they accepted. That's great. And I know from our conversation two years ago about some of the progress you'd made, but I want to kind of pivot from that. I want to, you know, when I wrote a book, as you know, you know, in 20, I published in 2019 called Making the Healthcare Shift, the Transformation of Consumer Centricity. And one of the shifts I wrote about was moving from tactical fixes to a holistic experience strategy. And the genesis was, you know, people have been talking about patient experience at least the 12, 15 years I've, I've been working in, in healthcare. But patient experience, as I saw it, had been defined as tactical fixes, things like how do we improve first call resolution? How mm -hmm. do we reduce med surge, you know, night noise complaints in the med surge unit, right? Versus this idea of the holistic experience strategy that became an organizing idea of how to engage patients, how to pull them through a continuum, how to meet their needs along the way. When we talked two years ago, you talked about stitching together the digital health continuum. Mm -hmm. I'd love to get your take on what the 2025 version of a holistic experience strategy looks like and what you're working on today to get there. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you make a good point around tactical fixes. And, and that's, a, you know, in healthcare systems are good about putting out a fire after it's already started, yeah. but about yeah. trying to prevent one, right? And tactical fixes are commonplace, but, you know, it should be more of an exception to the rule instead of how you do business. And so in order to for us to truly make an impact, you have to 
it retooled the entire spectrum of healthcare delivery, all the way from ambulatory acute, post-acute, and actually, most importantly, probably focus on the in-between of uh, those areas, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of this was, again, as you talk about tactical fixes, well, one of the things that has happened is obviously this massive move, even faster than most people predicted, is this move to value-based care. So it's a little bit of, oh, okay, we need to do this because we're going to actually lose money if we keep people in the hospital. We're going to lose money if we have more more readmissions, et cetera. So it's going to be more of this shared savings between payers and health systems. And, you know, one thing that I kept telling our leadership is that you cannot layer in digital on top of old analog thinking and strategy. You can't attach parts from a 2022 car model on a 1991, right? Maybe you could finagle it a little bit, but it's just likely not going to be functional, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the entire OS needs to be updated. And for Prisma, we're striving to achieve a unified patient and provider experience in and out of the hospital. Well, the way I look at it is understanding personas to navigate a patient through right avenue of care. And I, we might have touched on that last time as well. So you think about a new person, a new patient, they're just browsing, they're looking, hey, maybe I'm turning 50, I need to get a colonoscopy. Maybe I should check out this blood pressure I've been finding that's high. And they're gonna go and navigate. So in a historic way, they couldn't navigate. They didn't know who to go to. Is that a family doctor? Is that an internal medicine doctor? What's the difference? Is that a heart doctor I need to go see? from my blood pressure, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's the established patient. Someone has already established with a primary care provider, you know, how do they navigate and what do they need and how do we get them to their goals? And then a persona of a risk patient. So whose risk is getting higher? Who are we at risk for and shared savings? The other one is a team member, right? We have 30,000 team members at Prisma under a health plan. And then we have our health plan members, which is a forward-facing Medicare Advantage plan, which are going to grow as well. And then we have all these business health memberships and they have all very unique attributes. So when we think about stitching this digital continuum of care together, is based on the persona of the patient you're dealing with, right? A 20-year-old needs care in a different way than an 80-year-old does. Mm-hmm. And those needs also vary based on age and, and obviously health condition. So it is how do you cast a wide enough net to have the right data from these personas that navigate risk, that navigate patients to, okay, virtual primary care, 25-year-old, healthy, let's do that. They don't need to actual come to the office, but let's change the way we look at our whole 330 clinics and go, you shouldn't have to be a patient there to go get labs and x-rays. I should be able to see you, Jeff, as a virtual primary care, go, hey, Based on what you've told me in your family history, I want to get some blood work. I want you to check your blood pressure. Your blood pressure is high. I want you to go to this, based on your GPS location, you're closest to this clinic. Let's get some labs, and then I'm going to follow up with you. So it's not this one-and-done digital health, but you're also still connected to the health system. You still have to go get blood work, and if you need labs and other things, procedures, you can come in, and it's it's seamless for you. It's not like, okay, i got to do a virtual one here, and i got to go log in. In here and get into uh, Prisma this way. It's a very unified experience. So we're, what we're trying to do is navigate using, you know, building a strong CRM foundation on top of an app experience, on top of a digital health continuum, on top of care management, on top of everything else that occurs is just glue it all together. And it starts with a strong foundation. It starts with alignment across the organizations that we're all very clearly consumer focused and what that means. 
I will tell you that when we probably spoke and when I became CDO, mm-hmm. you know, consumerism was probably just a whisper back yeah. then, right? I mean, you think three or four years ago, consumerism was just a little bit of a whisper that people were starting to pay attention to. But now it is something that's extremely important and it is extremely, for our health system to be successful, it's extremely important for us to say, if we're going to grow our patient base, if we're going to grow a commercial payer base, understanding that the millennial population now outweighs baby boomer population and the Gen Xs and everything are continuing to grow. They've grown up on an on-demand world. I didn't grow up on an on-demand world, right? I grew up in Commodore 64 to where I am now. Yeah. It was a different world. The way I grew up. But they grew up in an on-demand world, and they expect something different. And they know they can shop around and find the right provider that meets their needs. So for us, is really putting all that. So the 2025 holistic experience for us, it really needs to incorporate every layer, everything from access to in-office care, to virtual care, to acute, to post-acute, and everything in between what's happening, those data points of where your blood pressures are, your sugars are, your fitness, your wellness, your care gaps, all of that in one data stream. And then using that data to then add in you know, folks with high risk factors to care managers and uh, care navigators that augment the PCP, right? Because there's no way in the world with the number of primary care providers currently and those coming out that will ever meet the needs of primary care of the population. Because if you look at MGMA and you look at what is standard for a a provider for internal medicine to see, it's about 2,000 patients, 2,500 patients on your panel. Now, that's one provider who went through 20 years of schooling. What kind of impact is that person going to make long term? It's small. So if you're in order to us to truly get to population health, we have to start to relook at the whole model where Dr. Nick Patel is taking care of 10,000 patients because it's based on data and it's surrounded by a care team that does at-home work and care navigation and care, um, you know, when they need it outside of what's happening when they see me in a, in a practice. But you said so so many interesting things I want, I want to follow. I just want to talk about this idea of personas and data and what you need to know, right? Because you riffed on demographic factors, right? How old are they, right? You've riffed on clinical factors, right? Do they have a health condition? What's their blood pressure? What's their et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's now so many new types of data and abilities to generate data. When you think out to 2025, what would be your wish list in terms of like new kinds of data that will really complete the picture and allow you as a physician to you know deliver more personalized, more effective care? for patients in, in your on your panel. Yeah, I think my wish is that we get more free-flowing ambient data without proactively reaching out. So for example, that social determinant data. If I know based on data a person no-shows or walks into a practice with transportation, then I already I don't need to ask that question, do you have transportation problems? I should know that already. And if I already know that, then I should know that before their visit, I should send someone to pick them up and arrange for that, right? Or if I'm gonna set someone up who definitely needs relocation monitoring that lives in an area where there's no broadband, I should know that. And I should be able to then understand their level of tech literacy and I should be able to go, okay, I'm sending you an LTE or 5G connected tablet that's out of the box working with one icon, that's it, that will let you do everything through that one application. So I think social determinant data is something that's lacking in our health record. We are all working to add that, but we're not effectively using it, right? Because in order to be, for me, to say, okay, let's do all these cool things around chatbots and automation and RPM and video, well, I need to know is that 
going to help that population? And if I, I think it is, then I need to empower them and empower them to have all the technology to do that, right? Because the last thing we want to do in our movement, and we go by 2030, 20, is to increase that chasm that already exists, the inequality, inequity that occurs between patients. Right, people who have access and people who don't. People, you know, 20% of the state still doesn't have what, as the FCC defines as broadband, which is 20 up and five down in the state of South Carolina. And they're living in rural areas and they have limited care, access to care, just like I did as a child driving 40 miles to see a PCP. A lot of that still holds true in this state to this day. And so in order for us to make a true impact to be better than 41st or 43rd, I can't remember where we are in the country when it comes to healthcare, then we have to start to think and partner with our, you know, our folks in the rural communities, our government, our state and local government to be able to augment and get those services out there. My wish would be that we are really getting a lot of this uh, background data that then helps us intelligently route people to the right avenue of care. And I think that's what's going to make us successful. Yeah. Another one of the shifts I, I wrote about was this move from fragmented care to connected ecosystems, you know, and developing plus product solutions, stitching together traditional and non-traditional players in the ecosystem. When we spoke last, we talked about some of the, you know, the ecosystem you were pulling together with outside partners like Conversa and Kairos and MD Live and Tidocare, et cetera. Tell me about what's your next gen connected ecosystem going to look like? And that may be these tech startups, technology startups, healthcare startups like, you know, Kairos, et cetera. Or it may be your next gen partnerships with payers, life science companies, the more traditional players in healthcare. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's a question I get asked quite a bit, you know, when they look at our actual tech stack and it has evolved even beyond that now. The challenge is always that you don't want to end up with a bunch of point solutions and disjointed experience, right? Yes, okay, I have access, check mark. Well, okay, well, how is that access really done? Is it is it still clicking to a phone number? What we've done, and I've been very fortunate to have some good partners such as Tido Care, Conversa, Kairos, Salesforce, Upfront, uh, Teladoc, around getting having conversations with each one of their CEOs and CTOs around cross-platform integration. So how does Validic from RPM go, hey, this person's blood pressure is going up? Well, the default would be to send a notification to the care team. But how about the first default is the conversa or saying, hey, I noticed your last three blood pressures are high. Did you take your medicine? Did you did you miss the dose? Do you need help with the cost of your medication? You know, going through this algorithm that's asynchronous first that then elevates and escalates to the care team because that care team is going to ask those same questions. The problem that we have, though, and, and you've seen the acceleration in M&A and, and startups, I think 40 billion over the last two years, uh, 22 billion alone last year in startups. And the reason money is pouring into that is that everyone thinks they can solve healthcare. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy, it's a very complicated. But the one thing they're not getting is that we need a digital platform OS that can plug and play all these t- uh, automation tools, the video tools, these RPM tools into a singular platform or cross-platform integration. And then all you have to have is one link back to the EHR, not eight APIs, but one API. 
I think the movement now is, is that these startups are starting to collaborate more together to understand where their guardrails are and what they do roles and function wise. But then they also know that, hey, when I walk into Prisma Health, oh, Nick's got Kairos and Conversa. By the way, we already have that background uh, API built and I can plug it in, in 24 hours and it's ready to go because, you know, you can't do that with Epic or Cerner or the others because every instance of Epic and Cerner is a, a separate instance of Epic and Cerner. There is no EHR that's exactly the same, even sometimes within each health system. Like, luckily, we're on one instance of Epic, which makes things easier. And we sunsetted 168 legacy systems when we mm -hmm. got yeah. right. We actually did that in the middle of the pandemic, February 27, 2021, is when we went live, one instance of Epic. And so it allows for more seamless integration of these tools, so that allows more seamless experience by the patient and provider using these tools. That's one of the things that we have done to update is not only consolidate some of the tools and get to one singular video platform, one singular RPM, one singular monitoring, et cetera, but also now say, all right, how do I scale this not only to primary care and ambulatory, but hospital at home, uh, monitor at home, SNFs, right? Business health. How do I scale that tool, basic OS to all these different entities? Again, going back to the personas of how do you use this OS to customize based on the preference of the patient. I'm going to wrap on one final question. And I want to ask you about culture and what you've learned in the pandemic. The focus is on what the strategy of the health system is and making sure that IT and informatics and medical groups all looking in the same direction. And it comes down to governance. It comes down to alignment. You have to have the right governance in order to execute this and you have to have uh, the right alignment so people don't think that's my, consumerism's mine, I'm over here and that's not yours. You know, CRM is mine and that's not clinical. So it, it needs to be more of a collaborative sort of an, uh, initiatives uh, across all organizations instead of people think it's theirs and it's their ownership and that it needs to be more of a a partnership, just like we did for the pandemic. I think we need to use those lessons learned around what worked, what didn't work, and um, focusing our attention on our key strategic goals. Nick, this has been great. I learn a lot every time we talk. I'm always appreciative of your time. Uh, thank you, Jeff. I just want to say thanks. It's always great talking to you. Thank you for listening to Profits Healthcare Transformers podcast. This podcast is produced by Jared Johnson and his wonderful team at Shift Forward Health. And a big thank you to our hosts, Priya Anasia, Paul Shrimp, and Jeff Gorgie. If you liked today's episode, you can find more great content like this at profit.com slash thinking. I'm Anna Kuno, the senior editor of this podcast. Thank you for listening.